teaching. And um, a couple weeks ago, I wrapped up a series that I called Big, Hairy, Audacious Questions. Uh, Back in June, we asked you to submit your really big questions, uh, questions that not only you struggle with, but people uh, near you, sitting near you right now struggle with, people that you work with, people that you do life with struggle with, people in churches all over the place struggle with some of these questions, people who wouldn't go to church no matter what struggle with the same questions, and people for hundreds of years have struggled with these questions. You submitted over 40 questions. Some of them we grouped together because they were all kind of the same theme. Some of them were easily a whole Sunday morning message. Some of them could have been a whole series in and of themselves. Uh, some of them, while they were great questions, weren't really beefy enough to stand alone on a, as a Sunday morning message. So those I, I toyed with the idea of, of doing one more message in that series and just kind of covering the rest of your questions. Uh, taking a few minutes in each one, but uh, I decided not to do that. I think I'm going to let those sit and percolate a little bit, and uh, those are, we're just going to leave those unanswered for now. Maybe we'll come back at another time and kind of do another kind of uh, series like that. But two Sundays ago in uh, part eight of Big Hairy Audacious Questions, or BHACs, as I like to call them, of course, BHACs, uh, the question of the day was, and it was, uh, it was a great question, one we could all identify with, one most of us have asked, have tried to answer, have struggled with, have given terrible answers to, whatever. And it was the question, if God is so good, why do bad things happen? In those 45 minutes uh, or so, two weeks ago, uh, I did my best to provide some framework for answering the question. I know I didn't answer it exhaustively. It wasn't exactly a definitive answer, uh, more of a beginning of an explanation of an understanding of what might be going on in the mind of God. Um, And as I thought about it, and I think about the question, if God is so good, why do bad things happen? That isn't really a question about bad things, so much as it's a question about what is God like? Who is God and what is he like? That's why we spent some time a couple weeks ago in answering that question, talking about the story of the prodigal son, because that famous story that Jesus told gives us a great picture of what God, our Heavenly Father, is like. So we're done with the big, hairy, audacious questions for now. And if you, if you, so if you have any more questions, too bad, not answering them, not even going to try. No, I'm not kidding. If you missed any of those eight messages, they're all on the podcast feed. Uh, if you do that, if you're, on, you know, you do the podcast thing and you're on iTunes and you can get them there. Uh, they're on the media player on our website. And, and we have an album of all eight messages. Nicely packaged on CD. How many of you still use CDs? I'm curious. Do people still listen to CDs? Okay. And some of you I know I would like to have them on cassette, but sorry. Um, there's also a bonus CD. If you buy now, there's a bonus CD in here of uh, the PDFs of all the notes uh, from each week. So you'll find these uh, on the media table uh, in the lobby. Um, we're asking, I think, 10 bucks for that because we typically ask for two for a CD and there's the bonus CD in there, and you get that slick package. So uh, check that out. And you can, uh, I'll I'll deliver it to you free uh, if you're on the property. And uh, listen to it and then uh, sell it on eBay and you're golden. So so, uh, even though we're done with the series, I want to kind of come back around this morning and tackle that last question from a little bit different angle. And instead of asking a question, I want to make a statement that you might have heard before uh, in the midst of suffering or loss or trials or questioning, and it's this. You've probably heard this. Everything happens for a reason. How many of you have ever heard that? 
How many of you, put your hands down, how many of you have ever said that? Good, you're good Christian church people, then you've said it. I know, it's, it's, it's the, I know. I'm sure that you've either said it or had it said to you in the midst of a difficult time. Somebody's come along and say, well, you know, God meant it for good. must be a reason. Everything happens for a reason or some version of that. And underneath it is always the idea that if God allowed something into our lives, it must ultimately be a good thing. And if we'll just give it enough time, we will eventually see in the rearview mirror that it was a really good thing. I mean, haven't we heard this said? And, and, and people have best of intentions. And maybe, I mean, I wonder how many times we've said something like that when someone's just devastated over a loss or bad news or a tragedy. And, and, and we mean well, and uh, it's the only thing we can think to say because we saw it on a Facebook meme somewhere. And underneath that kind of statement is the idea that if God is a God of love and if he's involved in our lives, then everything happens for a reason, i.e. a good reason. And we just need some time to discover what that good reason is. So when bad stuff happens, that's immediately where we turn to. But when it comes to bad stuff happening, I have some good news and some bad news. So let's start with the good news, okay? The good news is this, that everything happens. Wait, stop. Don't throw anything at me, okay? Hear me out. The good news is that everything happens for a reason. That's true no matter how wonderful it might be, no matter how tragic or terrible and seemingly senseless it might be, everything happens for a reason. So let's say so far so good. Here's the bad news. It's not always the reason we hope for. It's not always the reason we hope for because our reason is, oh, this happened because God has something better in mind. Oh, this happened because God is preparing me for something wonderful. Oh, this happened because in the long run, it'll all be good. Not necessarily so at all. So let's take a look at the verse that uh, as Christians, we've turned to, and even among non-Christians, this is sort of the spiritual mindset of our culture that this whole concept just kind of springboarded from who knows where but, and when. But anybody want to guess where we're going to, which book of the Bible we're going to go to? Most people are saying Romans. Some people are saying Romans 8, and you would be right. Romans 8, verse 28, is where this idea has come from. So let's start by reading this, this verse from Romans 8, 28. Words of the Apostle Paul, and he says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So can you see the comfort in that verse? I mean, absolutely. We know that in all things God works for good. But here's what we read it to say, that in everything that happens... God has a good reason for it. Is that what the verse says? Not exactly. We've got to look carefully at the promise that's found in this verse. It says, in all things, God works for good. Not all things are good. It doesn't say that. It's a huge, huge difference. The promise is that in the midst of the worst that the enemy might bring into our lives or that life might bring my way, or whatever the situation, no matter how bad it might be, that God in that will be doing his good stuff, okay? Not that it was necessarily, or that it was good in and of itself. It's just that God, whatever life touches, he can bring good from it, but it doesn't necessarily give us a promise that bad things are good things. In fact, if you've you've ever... uh, had that told to you as some kind of comfort, 
I bet you weren't really comforted, right? I've been around a lot of people, you know, I've been around church long enough to have been around a lot of people who um, have had uh, life-threatening diseases, have had friends whose children have died from cancer or been murdered, just horrible, horrible things. And people come up to them and say, well, they're in a better place. It's like, so? I'd like to be in a better place someday too, but not today. This is helpful? How? And we may take a... We may take a look at that spiritual urban legend someday, too, that, oh, they're in a better place, uh, but that's a, different, that's a different day. Or, 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 or you get this, well, God must have a reason. It's like, so? How is this helpful to me? I've heard people say things like that, and since I'm a pastor, I can't say certain things to people. Did you know that? So, so when I've heard things like that, The things I want to say, I'm not allowed to say, so I encourage you to... No. So, you would be so proud of me if you knew what I was thinking but didn't say. There's there's no comfort in that. But we just don't like seeing people in pain and seeing them in their discomfort, so we kind of throw that kind of stuff out there thinking it's like a... It's like a sympathy card that someone else wrote, and here, you're all better now. And what we're throwing out to people is some kind of comfort. Listen, is something that God never said. This is why that broken record syndrome that I have, read your Bible, read your Bible, know your Bible, read your Bible, and when you're done reading your Bible, read it again and keep reading it and know what the Scripture actually says. Because when we go around claiming promises that God never promised, uh, we've, we've set ourselves up for that and I'm getting ahead of myself. But whatever it is, he says, I'll, I'll work in it. But he didn't say, I caused it. He didn't say, I need it. I need this tragedy in your life for me to accomplish my will. He's not saying that. He certainly didn't say, you think it's bad, it's good. Just wait, you'll see, it's all good. He said he works for good in all things. There are a couple of large print conditions here. And I think when we read the Bible, we need to read the large print. You know how in a business deal or some kind of legal or financial transaction, you ever closed on a mortgage and you have to sign an initial like 9,700 pages of stuff? And, and of course, you read it all. And... because you're, you're, maybe you don't, you're a trusting person, but you need to be careful to read the fine print. But when it comes to the Word of God, there is no small print. It's all large print. There's nothing lurking in the margins to trick you up or trip you up. We, we need, what we need to do is just be careful to actually read it because God's promises always have conditions. Listen carefully. Not only is this passage not saying that everything is eventually good, not only is it not saying that, what it is saying is that in the bad, God still does some good, but he's not promising that in every case, because there are two conditions. So let's look again at Romans 8, 28, and let's find the conditions. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who what? Love him. That sounds like a condition, doesn't it? So the first large print condition is that God will work for the good and will bring some good even into the bad and do good alongside the bad and all around the bad. Number one, if we love him. That's a big condition. 
There's another really famous uh, promise in the Psalms where the psalmist said that uh, God gives us the desires of our heart, and people claim that, and that's all they take, and they don't read the condition that says, if I delight myself in the Lord. We've got to look for the large print. Don't miss this. Oh, there's a second clause here. For the good of those who love him and have been what? Called according to his purpose. Now, what in the world does called according to his purpose mean? It's kind of a theological term. It means that God has called you, and you have responded, and you have moved into his family. So what this means is this, is that if we love God, and if we're part of God's family, those are the two conditions. The promise that God will show up in everything and do some good, even if it's bad, it's only for those who love God and are part of his family. So let's bore down a little bit deeper. What does it mean then to love God with this condition? If I love him, what does that mean? Does it mean that when the songs are slow and worshipful at church and I close my eyes and raise my hands and I get a little goosebump sensation that he's up there going, oh, you love me? Is that what he means? Or what does this, what does this mean? Does it mean I get emotional every time I read my Bible? Um, I think Jesus was quite clear about what it means to love God. And I want you to see it with, me, with your own eyes. Go back a few pages if you've got your Bible open or your app out. Just go back a little bit to John chapter 14, verse 15. Just back a little bit from Romans 8. This is as simple and as straightforward as it gets. And Jesus wasn't always simple and straightforward, but this is pretty cut and dry. These are the words of Jesus in John 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. So if I want to hold on to the promise that in all things, good, bad, and ugly, God will somehow work for good, I, number one, must be living a life of obedience. That's what Jesus said. Because we'd rather just stop with love. But Jesus said, well, let's define love. Love is obeying my commands. So number one, I've got to be living a life of obedience. If we take that a little deeper, does it mean perfect obedience? Because, I mean, is there anyone, anyone here who wants to step forward and say, well, I live in perfect obedience, and we'll put you up in the front row, you know? We don't. I mean, I, I don't. We don't. You don't. We just don't live in perfection. But what we do is living, moving in a certain direction. You know the deal where you, you get to the crossroad and you... We're, uh, the crossroads of where what we want to do intersects with what God wants us to do, and, and we have to make a decision. And when we do, we abandon what we want to do and do what God wants us to do, that's obedience. And when the scriptures talk about obedience, it's referring to our lives being characterized by when I know what He wants, I do what He wants. I might have some blind spots, I might have some areas where I struggle, I might take two steps forward and one step back, but I'm living in obedience. And this is so important to understanding why this cliche of, well, everything happens for a reason, it'll all work out for good, this is why this isn't true. If I'm a Christian, I claim to be a child of God and a follower of Jesus, and I've got an area of my life where I'm telling God, you leave me alone, you stay out of this area of my life. I'm living my own way. I have no claim then to that promise. Did you get that? Zero claim to that promise. Because I might say, oh, I really love God. Like Sunday, Sunday mornings, I really love God. I mean, everybody does that, right? But Jesus said the real test is obedience. Second thing, this called according to his purpose, this idea of being part of God's family. First of all, let me put some verses on the screen that you can just write down the references if, you're, if you'd like to do that kind of thing and look at later. Uh, three or four different verses. Romans 1, 6 through 7, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 12, and 2 Timothy 1, 9. 
Uh, if you just kind of take some time to read those, and they, those kind of speak to this idea of being called according to the, the purposes of God, um, and where we respond and where we join in his, in his purposes and in His family. Here's what I want you to hear. That we have a tendency to think that everyone's a part of God's family. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of the terminology we use, you know. We're all part of God's family, but that's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is that everybody's made in the image of God. Therefore, everyone has incredible value. Even his strongest enemies have incredible value, and that's why we're to love them and get to the point where we serve them to try to win them over from being enemies to being family members. But only those who step over the line of faith and give Jesus Christ control of their lives, only those are brought into God's family. Again, we have to be careful about the terminology we use because terminology means something. 1 John 2, 3 through 5. Let's put these verses on the screen. It says this. It says, We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. So you want to know, do I really know God? Do I really love God? This is the criteria. If we keep His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. This is God's definition. So the promise in Romans 8 is dependent upon two things. Number one, that I love God, that I'm living in obedience to him. And number two, that I've given my life over to Jesus Christ. And then even in the worst situations, he brings some good to that. We often call this surrender. That's the word that we use. We talk about it. We sing about it. We call it surrender. How do you, do you see that that's different than what is often presented when it comes to everything working out for good? I wish the way that it's often presented was accurate. That God's just up there hoping we all kind of hold hands and sing kumbaya and we just have a good day. But the truth is better than wishful thinking any day. And the promise has two strong, strong conditions. That I love God, that I've given my life over to Him in surrender. I want to talk a little bit about how God often works good into situations. And what about those times when I'm not obedient? Or what, about, or what about those times that maybe it's not because it's part of God's plan? How can I figure those things out when stuff happens in my life? So here are two reasons. And um, yeah, I'm, I, think I'm, I think I'm on track with you here, Scott. Uh, two reasons why a bad thing might be a good thing. Okay? These are the ones that we always hope for. And maybe uh, you've had this experience where something that looked really bad ended up being really good. Uh, it does happen, mm-hmm. but not all the time. Here's the first way that a bad thing might be a good thing, okay? Might be, a bad thing might be a good thing if God had something better in mind. You know, you're out there chasing someone. And it doesn't really work out so well. And now you know why, because God had something better in mind. Or you're out there pursuing some dream or some goal of something, and God's going, no, 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 i got something so much better for you. And, and I won't ask for a show of hands, but let's say you were engaged to be married to like a real loser and he was ugly too and somehow that relationship 
that everybody else could see was a bad relationship for you, just falls apart and down the road you marry a wonderful person and you look back on that and through, though you were brokenhearted at the time when that relationship fell apart, you look back and you realize that, man, oh man, God had someone, he had someone better for me. Um, that's happened to a lot of people. Uh, in fact, that some of you have gone way beyond getting engaged. You married a couple of those people and then you really realize this is the one and uh, that's fine. I, I won't and some of you are like, I wish that would happen to me, that kind of thing. But uh, sometimes, sometimes God has something better in mind. Maybe some of you have had this experience. Maybe you were fired from a job. You were devastated, not knowing where you were going to land and, and how that was going to play out, only to land in a better job and a better future. I mean, I mean, a lot of you, I know a lot of you have had that experience. Here's the flip side. Some of you have lost a really good job and never found one that good again. That happens sometimes, to be honest. But the fact is that sometimes when I'm living in obedience and I'm part of God's family and I'm surrendered to Him, sometimes when the bad things happen at the moment, I have no clue, but the reality is that what's going on in God's mind is that there's something better for us. So sometimes a bad thing is really a good thing because there's something better. Sometimes it's a good thing because it's a necessary step toward a greater good. In the Bible, there's a great story of this, and uh, it's the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Uh, the background of the story is that there was a man named Abram. Uh, we know him as Abraham, and God says to him, even though you don't have any children right now in your old age, uh, you're going to have one kid, and that kid's going to have kids, and just about the time you think it's not going to happen, it's going to happen, and I'm going to create a great nation, and I'm starting with you. And out of that nation, here's the whole point, Abram, out of that nation is going to come the Messiah, and he's going to reconcile mankind to the Creator. And the great nation, of course, is the Jewish people and the long story short, what happens in the book of Genesis is a couple generations down the road, you got this family of boys. They had 12 boys. It's a big family. It's the making of a great reality TV show, but it's not exactly a nation yet, okay? It's like, where's the nation? The spoiled brat of the group, Joseph, and his older brothers, they get ticked off at him, and they just don't get along, and they, they, they very unjustly sell him into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt, and while he's working as a slave, he's falsely accused of sexual assault, and he's thrown into prison, and when he's in prison, he works really hard and becomes a model prisoner, and he's entrusted with responsibility and leadership within the prison. Oh, big deal. And he meets a guy who works for Pharaoh, and he, or used to, and he interprets a dream for the guy, which is kind of weird, and I don't know how that works. I don't know if you have that ability. I don't know anybody that does, but that's kind of cool. And the guy gets out of prison, but he forgets about Joseph until Pharaoh has a dream that no one can interpret. So he tells Pharaoh about Joseph's extraordinary dream interpreting skills. Put that on your resume. And next thing you know, Joseph is second in command in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. Oh, and right around the corner, there's a famine and it affects his family back in his homeland. Well, thanks to his leadership in Egypt, they've prepared for the famine, and they're in a position of selling from their stockpiles of food. And his family is among those who come to Egypt to buy food because they're hungry. And they, when they come to buy food, Joseph reveals his identity to them, and he invites them to stay with him through the famine. And years later, after their father dies, his brothers realize that Joseph is now in a position where he can get even and get revenge for the evil that they did. And they're freaked out about that. And in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph is talking to them, and he tells them not to worry about that because he says this. This is Genesis 50, verse 20. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good for the saving of many. There are times that God works that way. 
Some of you have uh, probably experienced this when your kids were little and you take your kids for a vaccination that they were not particularly thrilled to get. And you let them experience some pain momentarily and some temporary discomfort for a greater good, right? And sometimes God will do that with us. And of course, we don't know it till later in life. And sometimes we don't know it at all because he decides not to show us. Kind of like a relationship between sheep and their shepherd. I read this uh, a few years ago, but apparently uh, sheep and their shepherd, first of all, tend to get pretty close. And you've got to be a special person to want to be a shepherd so you can hang out with sheep and have a close relationship with them. I don't know if that's your thing. That's fine. I'd like to... Anyway, it sounds weird to me. But they get, <laughs> they get close. And the sheep know and trust the voice of their shepherd and all that sort of stuff. And sheep, like other uh, livestock, are susceptible to parasites of all kinds. And in modern-day sheep farming, the shepherds will actually lead the sheep through this machine that sprays this solution that prevents parasites. And this solution, is a, it stings the skin and the eyes of the sheep. But the sheep have learned, since they were little lambs, to trust the shepherd because he protects me and he feeds me and he leads me to water. This is the kind of thoughts that they have, in case you're wondering. And he walks with me when they give you that really brilliant look. And he's really nice to me and I really like him and all this kind of stuff. And now he's asking me to follow him through this stinky stuff that makes my eyes water. Um, okay, but what's up with that? And the sheep has no idea what's going on. It's like, He's in a bad mood today because the shepherd would never explain to the sheep, here's what's going to happen. This is how it's going to play out. It's going to be bad, but it's for your own good. He just doesn't have that conversation. If he does, I don't probably want to hang out with him. Sometimes that's what God does in our lives. The truth is sometimes if we look far enough into the rearview mirror, we're like, oh, I never saw this before. God had something better in mind, or it was a necessary step for a greater good. And I love it when that happens. I love it when I get to see that. God does that, but not in every single situation. Listen, and where we become embittered with God is when we assume he's made a promise that he never made. Let's just think about that for a second. Ever been there? That he must always do what he sometimes does. He must always do for me what he did back then on occasion. Did Jesus heal people? Did Jesus heal people? Yes. Did he heal everyone he came across? No. Did the people he healed eventually die? Are you unsure about that? Because if you ever, ever come across someone who Jesus healed and they just can't die, please introduce them to me. Jesus healed me and I just can't die. All the people Jesus healed eventually died. We might have all kinds of reasons to say, hey, God, look at this, and what about this, and why aren't you doing something about that, and have you ever thought about it this way? But the last time I checked, he's God, and we're not. 
So we've talked about how a bad thing might be a good thing. Let's talk about when a bad thing might be a bad thing. Okay? And why that little cliche that everything happens for a reason shouldn't be thrown out there too quickly. The first reason why bad stuff happens, and maybe it isn't necessarily, uh, you know, isn't a a step for greater good or or for something better. The, The first reason might be that bad stuff happens to us all the time because we live in a fallen world. And those of you who are newer in your journey with Jesus Christ and those of you who have been following him for a long time, it doesn't matter. I want you to hear this carefully. This is one of the most essential things for us to understand. It is a core theological biblical truth. And if we don't understand that we are living in a fallen world, that this is not yet heaven, this world is not the way God ultimately intends for it to be, as long as we fall into that kind of thinking, we are headed for Wrong thinking always results in wrong decisions. Let's just put it that way. And we end up buying into wrong thinking. We end up acting in ways that are destructive and take us further away from where God intends for us to be. From the very beginning, from the very beginning of the Bible, so don't, just, I think it's there so we don't miss it because it's easy to find. We have the creation story to tell us that God made it. God made creation. God made us. We have the description of why it's all screwed up uh, with the story of Adam and Eve. And with the rest of the Bible, we have the other 1,186 chapters are the story of how God's going to fix it and how we're to live in the meantime. But I want to draw your attention to this passage of Scripture in Genesis chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. And let me just give you the flyby version of Genesis 1 through 4. First part of Genesis 1, God creates everything. Everything's wonderful. You get the Garden of Eden and all that. That's where the theme song for the Lego movie came from, because everything was awesome. And in Genesis 3, in Genesis 3, you've got, you've got uh, disobedience. So we had two chapters of everything is awesome, and then you had disobedience, and deciding, I know a little bit better than God. And you got sin brought in th- into the world, and death comes with it. And what we often miss is that right after chapter 3, where we get the explanation of why the world's so messed up, it immediately goes into a story. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you remember the final graph of this. It's a story of Cain and Abel, two brothers, sons of Adam and Eve. And Abel's a real good guy, and he does what God says, and he brings a sacrifice to God that God requires. Cain, however, decides, well, you know, I'm going to bring my own sacrifice. I think it's good enough. And Cain gets all ticked off, and uh, when God accepts Abel's sacrifice and not his, and, and he goes off and kills his brother Abel, that's the first story in the Bible. So a guy who's doing a good thing is killed by a guy who's doing a bad thing. That story is there to help us understand the world that we live in. Choices based on our own selfishness rather than following God, the repercussions are disastrous. You may not kill anybody, but you might kill some relationships. You may not kill anybody, but you might kill some influence that you once had. We live in a fallen world, and if I do not expect the results of a fallen world, I'm going to spend my whole life crying out, why God, why? And he's going to say, read Genesis. And just about the time I want to punch out Adam and Eve and their firstborn son, and I realize that I too make the same choices. I mean, don't you? We live in a fallen world. 
from a badly timed economic downturn to bad people doing bad things to rain on the day of your outdoor wedding. It's just how life happens sometimes. 1 Peter 4 verse 12 tells us not to be surprised when we suffer, when we go through trials. Here's a really interesting verse. This is back in the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. So those who say that everything is good when a bad person does a bad thing, Isaiah says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. The Bible is pretty clear that sometimes bad things happen. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's because he has something better in mind for me. I'm hoping it's a necessary step for a greater good. But frankly, sometimes it just happens. You ever sold a house? Or have you ever sold a house in the same month that the market tanked? Is that because you're not spiritual? Maybe, I don't know, but most likely, or is it because we, you know, it's like, oh, darn it, we live in a culture where there's economic cycles, and every time we need to sell, it seems like it's a downtime, and my timing is terrible, and sometimes it's just how life works, and does it mean God has let us down? Or you got your big outdoor wedding, you're praying for perfect weather for your big day, and just to be clear, we had an outdoor wedding in our family a couple months ago, I didn't spend one moment of my time praying for a good day. Because I think that's, that's just... If you do, that's fine. I'm going to have a conversation with God someday, and I want to know how he balances all that. Because what's God going to do if you want to get, you want to get married in the first week of August, and the blueberry farmers are just praying for rain? They're just praying for rain. But there's this one little wedding in some place in the same county, and, and so God's getting these conflicting requests. What's he supposed to do? Sometimes we just assume that we're the center of the universe, don't we? We do. I'm the one God's really listening to. Whew. Truth of the matter is, you and I live in a fallen world. Sometimes bad stuff happens to us is simply because this isn't heaven. Second reason a bad thing might be a bad thing is this, that is, if, if we've ignored God's warnings... If you've ignored God's warnings, I guarantee you bad things are bad things. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. In other words, when I disobey God and I take things into my own hands, bad stuff happens, and that's exactly uh, what God warned us would happen. It's, it's like those times uh, that someone's come to me and said, well, why would God you know, let me get pregnant? I'm like, we, we could answer that, I suppose. By the way, the, why is, I don't understand why my marriage is falling apart. It's crazy. Do you really want to know? By the way, the connection between God's discipline for sin and the way things play out is not always one-to-one. Because <laughs> sometimes I do wrong here and the consequences show up somewhere else in my life. But we have a world full of substance abuse and lack of moral, sexual morals and dishonesty and people who refuse to forgive and people who are seeking revenge. And oh, I'm talking about Christians, by the way. I'm not talking about them out there because they got nothing to do with us. And we're just talking, it's just us. 
When bad stuff happens, sometimes it's a result of those areas of sin in our lives. Sometimes that's the truth. Oh, and I don't think it's your place to go, well, let me tell you why the bad stuff happens, because you are a loser in all of these areas. Let me tell you how. I would just encourage you to go this week, read Proverbs 1. Read Proverbs 1. It'll shock you how relevant that is to your life. In this passage, the Lord says, I cried out, and I cried out to you with advice, but you would not listen. Ever been there with anybody, with another human being? Imagine, imagine how God, our Heavenly Father, feels when we ignore His standard, we ignore His commands, we ignore His advice, if you want to use that word. So suddenly the people are in a heap of trouble and they're like, help me, God, help me. And he says, I will laugh at your calamity. Why? Because you would not listen. These are the consequences I told you about. First of all, the idea of God laughing at us because I've made a poor choice, I think is rude, first of all. Like, it's very insensitive, God. But God's pretty, pretty clear. If God made promises and didn't keep them, he would be what? A liar? I think he'd be a liar if he made promises and didn't keep them. And if he gives warnings and doesn't follow through on them, what would he be? He'd be a liar. Some of us think God is like that softy parent. You know who I'm talking about, that parent that screams and yells at their kids and they come down on them with these ridiculous over-the-top punishments and the kid just rolls his eyes because he knows in about two hours it'll all be forgotten and things are back to normal. That's what we think God is. Some of us think God's that way, that he just huffs and puffs with these warnings about living life the way that he says, but he doesn't really mean it. Because what about grace? He doesn't really mean it. And as long as I say, oh, God, I'm sorry. You know I struggle with this. And he's just like, that's all right. It's okay. Don't worry. About it. He doesn't do that. He's as honest and truthful about his warnings as he is about his promises. We get upset and disillusioned with God when he doesn't seem to follow through on what we think he's promised. And yet we think he's a big meanie when he follows through on his warnings. Here's an example of his warnings. In Deuteronomy 28, there's some wild stuff in this part of the Bible. And what God is saying to the, uh, to the Israelites as they get ready to go into the promised land. And Deuteronomy 28 is right there. They're, right, they're ready to take the walk and go take the land. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 4, the children of Israel are, yeah, they've, they've had enough of the wilderness and they're ready to go take the promised land. Moses has led them through the wilderness. Uh, they're about to finally get their own land that God has promised them. And God gives them a warning. And they're just looking back thinking, you know, we're cool. We made it. We're God's children. It only took us 40 years to make this 11-day journey. We are, we are pretty cool group of people. We're his chosen. We're all right. So God gives him a little warning. Here's what he says. He says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land, the young of your livestock. And he goes on and it's just this flowery blessing. You're thinking, man, life is going to be sweet. But you get down to verse 15. He says, however... If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not follow all his commands and his decrees that I've given you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then God lists all these specific curses, and they're pretty wild. And when the curses came, because the curses came, because they didn't obey him, and God, being God, had to follow through. And the curses came, and they cried out. Guess what they cried out? 
Why, God? What have we done? Why have you forsaken us? Why hasn't God come through for us? Bad things are bad things sometimes because we've ignored God's warnings. Here's a third reason that a bad thing might be a bad thing. If we make foolish decisions. I don't know. We've, we've all known people like this. We've probably all been there at different times in our lives where we think, I know best. I'll do it my way. I've got it. Uh, I, if it's a really dumb decision, God will fix it up for me. Only to find out God doesn't always fix it up. Foolish decisions have consequences. Again, if you, if you start reading Proverbs 1 this week, just keep reading through the book. Uh, here's some examples. Uh, Proverbs 19, verse 3 says, A man's own folly ruins his life. And his heart rages against the Lord. Ever done that? Or you just don't tie, take the time to check out the facts and we don't make the effort to seek God's direction in a decision or, or to seek wise counsel? Uh, so, such an important step in a decision-making process that most of us skip right over is seeking wise counsel. When we go out and make a hasty decision and it's a foolish decision and it all falls apart and our first response is, Why, God? Why have you deserted me? It's like we think he's supposed to be, you know, running around fixing every dumb decision we make. Scripture's pretty clear about the process of making decisions. Get the facts, get wise counsel, seek the Lord's direction. This is Proverbs 22. It says, A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. How many times have we said, well, God will take care of that? And there are danger warnings all over the place, you know, but we don't want to see them. We ignore them when we pay the price. And then we get mad at God because we think he didn't come through for us. Well, I guess I would say that everything does happen for a reason. Sometimes the things that derail us and set us back are because we've made poor choices. Fourth reason is this, and it's a really frustrating one, and it's one of the reasons we suffer heartache and pain. Fourth reason why a bad thing might be a bad thing is when we get caught in someone else's wake. What what do I mean by that? It's those times when you're living in obedience, walking with God, but you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think the best example of this in the Bible uh, is in the Old Testament. I think the prophet Daniel is one of the best examples of this. You read Daniel 1, you'll find, we talked about him a few weeks ago, you'll find that there's this incredibly righteous guy, but unfortunately the nation of Israel has been disobeying God and disobeying God, doing everything the way God says not to do it. And he warned them just like he did in Deuteronomy 28, and that I'm going to let other nations overtake you, pagan nations that are godless, and I'm going to give, them over, give you over to them. And, and that he warned them over and over and over. And, and, and guess what? God did just what he said. So Jerusalem was destroyed, and they kidnapped a bunch of young nobles, and Daniel was one of them, and they took him hundreds of miles away to a completely foreign city called Babylon with a foreign language and a pagan culture and a, a, a satanic uh, uh, religion. And, and, and what had he done? Nothing. But what had happened? He got caught in the wake of Israel's disobedience. It's part of living in this world. I think the story of Job is much the same. We talked about him just a couple of weeks ago. A lot of us kind of know that story, but we've never read the book. And I, after you read Proverbs 1 and keep reading some of Proverbs, I encourage you to read some of Job. You can only do so much of it at a time or you just you won't want to come out from under the rock you're hiding in. But, but, but read Job. Read the story. Um, Job had a good life and then Job had a tough life. I mean, he's the ultimate example of bad things happening to good people. And at the end of his life, God gives him back everything he lost, kind of, and he doubled some of it. And, and we think that's great, but I, I wish we'd actually read the book instead of just the Sunday school version because it's true that bad stuff happened. 
He was, he was patient. He got back double, kind of. But you know what his life situation was before all the bad stuff happened? He's one of the richest guys in the world, and everything was going great for him, and he was walking with God, and he has, was close with God, and he had this incredible family life, and he lost it all. And I don't know, I, I, I still think this was, this was just such a bad trade, you know? You're the richest guy in the world. I'm going to take everything. You're going to lose it all, your family, your health. But the good news is I'm going to double your wealth, and you'll be the richest guy in the world again by far. Well, here's what really happened to Job. God didn't let all that stuff happen so he could say, Job, I'm going to make you more blessed. No, Job was caught in a wake. There was a spiritual battle going on. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I don't want to rehash the whole thing, but I can't explain it all, but God and Satan were having this discussion in the spirit realm, and there's this old, you know, uh, there's this, this little old Job living on earth, and, and Satan's looking at him going, well, Job only serves you because life's so good. And God says, oh, no, no, he loves me because he loves me. And Satan says, oh, yeah, look at his life. Look at all that you've given him. Of course he loves you. And God says, okay, I'll tell you what, you can touch him. Do some bad stuff to him. We'll see. And I, and I, and I read the story, and I'm like, God, what? No. Oh, what? Why would you do that? And then after the first few chapters, after God explains why all this is happening to Job, because of this deal with Satan, there's this long dialogue and all this discussion among Job's friends trying to figure it all out, why this stuff is happening to him, and they get all these theories. And at the end of the book, God shows up, and he basically says, you guys are full of hot air. You don't have a clue what you're talking about. You're all wrong. How smart do you think you are anyway? Where were you when the stars were created? And he asks him all these tough questions, and then the catch is this. God never gives any answers. That's frustrating. All we know is that Job was caught in the wake, and God proved faithful, and God provided him the strength that he needed to get through it, but it wasn't a good thing that happened to Job. Oh, we think it was a good thing, and we kind of like, oh, the patience of Job, and we tell this story, and we water it down and clean it up, and uh, we think it's a good thing because it helps us to understand life. And I don't know about you, but uh, I want God to use me, but not as an object lesson for other people. What I really want you to see is the reality of life, the messiness of it, the lack of simple and concrete and tidy little answers. We've got to let God be God, take His promises for what they are, but not read something more into them, not to try to make bad things into good things as if somehow this is heaven. All this leads me to my last point, and then I'm done. It's simply this. In the middle of all this, in the middle of all this that we've talked about, in the middle of doing life, God's given us something to hold on to. And it's not, well, everything happens for a reason. It's not... Well, God has a good purpose for it. It's not, well, everything will work out for good when it's all done. Someday you'll look back and you'll think, you'll realize this is, a, give me six months or a year, five years, and I'll see you in the rearview mirror. Thank you, Jesus. Not, in the middle of all that, God's given us something to hold on to. And what we have to hold on to is the promise of heaven. And we sort of lose sight of that. So we, we live in a day where we think this should be heaven. And we do everything we can to create our own little heaven around us. This is not heaven. So I want to wrap up my thoughts this morning looking at this incredibly important verse. It's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. This is important because I realize that some of you, or some of what I've said has been uh, even uh, discouraging and disconcerting for some of you because we all want to live in this little zone where, well, I love God, I'm part of his family, and at the end of my visit to his office, he's going to give me a lollipop and everything's going to be good. And Yet the truth is we live in a messy, fallen world. 
In fact, no matter how good your life is, no matter how wonderful everything works out for you, the same thing eventually happens to all of us. And we die. It's a bummer. It's kind of how it works. It's because we live in a fallen world. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, the words of the Apostle Paul, he says this, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. You know what, you know what my great hope and your great hope is if you're a follower of Jesus? I mean, yeah, God is involved. Yeah, God fixes. Sometimes He intervenes and changes and alters. Sometimes what looks like a bad thing is really a good thing. But my great hope when I realize that I'm part of a fallen world, when I've made a really foolish decision... when I've disobeyed and I'm suffering the consequences, or maybe when I'm just living my life obeying God and loving God and I'm caught in someone else's wake, here's my great hope, that there will come a time that all of this hope and all of this heartache is a distant memory and every tear will be wiped away and every sorrow and every suffering will be made right and every injustice will have been balanced out. But the scripture says that we should not expect that here and now. The more we look for it here and now, the more disappointed we're going to be with God because we think He's made a promise that He's never made. Paul said, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied. So maybe everything happens for a reason, but not often for the reason we think. Thanks for hanging with me today and let me ramble a little bit. And uh, if it provided clarity, that's awesome.